Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Welcome, everyone, to Star Trek from the Holodeck. This is the Picard edition, and I am your captain and your host, Michael Flores. And at the science console, as per usual, is David. Hello. You know, and this would be a better theme (laughs) than the Picard theme. Oh, come on, David. The wonderful theme. How dare you? No, no, I don't want to fall asleep, Mike. (laughs) They do need to to boost the energy on that theme, I will say. Although the... uh, uh, the the tail end of the theme i was cracking up because i was like letting the theme play mm. as i'm dozing off and suddenly you hear the tail end of like the picard theme from the movies from the from first contact from yeah. first contact and i'm like oh okay all right yeah i'm i'm here watching picard yes yeah I was i'm gonna, suddenly awake again <laughs> i was gonna mention that during our last discussion that they they changed the picard theme slightly just slightly and at the end, there are a few notes from the first contact. First contact, theme. yeah, yeah, which is one of the greatest Star Trek themes of all time. And honestly, probably should have just been the theme of Picard. It would it would have worked, and no one would have better even, than I. Yeah, no, no one would complain. because like most of us as Star Trek fans, actually, even though the TNG theme is synonymous with the, that crew. Picard's theme from the movies just hit a certain note. I mean, there's an, an emotion, an emotion behind it. it. You yeah. know, you you think of things like truly his relationship with Data, and like the whole aspect in the movies with his crew getting together and they have have to help each other and everything else. And that theme, the movie theme, just hits better emotionally with the character of Captain Picard. Yeah. I agree. Okay, Dave. So today we're going to be talking about and breaking down Picard season two, episode two, titled Penance, written by Kiva Goldman, Terry Matalas, Christopher Monfetti, and directed by Douglas Arniokowski. I hope I pronounced that correctly. All right. So if you are new to our show, we cover a wide variety of Star Trek content And you can find our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search from the holodeck and be sure to leave us a thumbs up or review, I should say, and rating on iTunes and Spotify as it does trigger algorithms that then help more people find our show. Dude, just the just the title to penance. When Q mentioned when Q says it. Did that not give you chills? Yeah, of course. Every time Q has conversations with Picard. In this way, I always get chills because it's there's something there. Usually there's the philosophical aspects, which is why Q is such a great character yeah. when it comes to him and Picard's dynamic when they're on screen together and how they're written. Oh, yeah. And the performance by John Delancey and 
opposite Patrick Stewart is like, I really, it's been so long to see those two together on screen. They have amazing chemistry together because like, they just know how to, how to tell a story between each other yeah. within five minutes. Yeah, it's good. They do have good chemistry. I wonder if they like each other in real life, like for real, <laughs> because we know that the original series cast, they had a lot of problems behind oh, the scenes. They hated each other. And same thing with the Voyager <laughs> cast. There was a lot of behind the scenes drama, but not so much with Deep Space Nine. And we haven't heard anything about Enterprise, but who knows how Picard... You know, or I should say Patrick Stewart and John Lancey. Are they are they friends or are they not? I would hate to find out that they're not friends. They're not friends. <laughs> but maybe that it's that animosity that adds to it. That's why the Yeah, it happens. Whatever yeah. whenever you have two people who just are and uh, have ill will towards each other, their performance as opposites of each other just comes out. Yeah. Okay, so Star Trek Picard continues on its path of redemption as most of the thoughts on the internet seem to align with us this season. Simply put, two episodes in and the difference in writing and the attention to detail is blatantly obvious. It's like night and day, David. I mean, the new leadership in the writing room for season two obviously have a far greater understanding of Picard and Star Trek. And let's include Seven into that mix. Because I have some points I want to make. Pertaining to her character as well. Yeah. And the evidence. Or I should say. And the evidence of this. Of this understanding. This greater understanding this year. The evidence is within the nuance of the episodes. For example. I've complained David. Since day one. With how they were handling Seven of Nine. She was such an interesting character in Star Trek Voyager, a perfect character type to explore the nuances of the human condition through her mentorship by Janeway. She was always fiery and oftentimes quick to react, but at her core, she was curious, a bit of a overachiever, right? She was the consummate scientist. Yes. She was intellectual. And analytical. Yes. Now, taking all of that and comparing it with how they developed the scene in this episode where she wakes up <laughs> and she tries to determine where she's at and whether or not it was hallucinatory or a dream. Well, what did she do? She relied on her intellect and used her sense to determine or the, her senses to determine the nature of the reality, the reality she yeah. had awakened within. Oh, dude, but I was I was so hoping that just as a, a surprise, the doctor would have showed up an evil version of the doctor. Because like, wait, what? You know, like the doctor of the Voyager. Oh, oh, oh. I forgot the character. I forgot the actor's name. That's why Robert I Picardo. Robert Picardo. Yeah. I wish Robert Picardo would have just showed up and be like an evil version of like her assistant. <laughs> Because like that, that's what I was waiting for when she was breaking down the analytical stuff mm-hmm. and she was writing the, the, uh, the, uh, equation up on the thing with her lipstick. She was doing all the tests. I expected Robert Picardo to show up behind her and say something snarky. <laughs> I'm kind of glad it didn't only because there's just so much going on in this show. That is true. But it would have been one of those. It would have been a cool nod. Fan, It would have been a good fan moment. Yeah. But at the same time. The very show, Picard, is a fan show. 
Yes, it is. You're you're writing a show based on a beloved captain, and you include everyone's other favorite characters, seven <laughs> and nine. That right there is already a dream come true dream for come a true. lot of Star Trek fans. And then you have Q as well in this. And you had Data last year. So they're already throwing in those bits of fan service and then crafting their narrative around it. And it's worked for the most part, but they have to be careful with yes. how many characters they include. Because well, then dude. it's just going to feel like... Hey guys, did, did put you, your hands together. It is Riker again. Hello. No, dude, did you nearly jump out of your seat when they basically went, Oh, do you want me to summon Captain or, or Commander Cisco? General Cisco. Or General Cisco? Oh, of course, David. I'm like, Oh, yeah. I want to see an evil version of Cisco. If there was video of me, it would have uh, been very embarrassing because <laughs> I think I might have jumped out of my chair when they said General Cisco. General Cisco. I was like, Oh, God, please. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so yes, bringing it back to Seven. Seven was being Seven using rationale, logic, and the senses. Now, something like that may not seem like a big deal, but it is because scenes like this is a perfect example of how easy, this is the key. This is the key here, Dave, that we have talked about time and time again. This This is a perfect example of how easy it is to maintain a type of continuity as it pertains to characterization, the most important part of writing a series like this is the attention to detail because you are bringing back characters from other TV shows that have never been in the environment of these certain characters, if that makes sense. Picard and Seven have never been on screen together. And if you just throw in characters without really understanding what they represented for, their, for each of their own series then what happens is you lose sight of what the character was all about. If you're going to bring in a character like Seven or any other character they may introduce, then you have to be faithful to who that character was. Otherwise, you get Sarah Connor, like we did in the first season when Michael Shaban was in charge, someone who obviously didn't really fully have an understanding of the character. And that's why two episodes in, the new writing team is showing that they understand how important small details like having her use her logic and her senses, her smarts, if you will, to figure out a problem is so vital for a character like this. And that's why I feel a little more confident and I'm not going to jump the gun, David. I know we um, like to be objective, but there are times because we're dealing with Star Trek, something you and I have both watched since we were we children Sometimes we get a little too excited and and overly giddy, and then we get really disappointed by like episode eight when the whole thing falls apart. Yes. But I I will say, when you combine the first two episodes of Picard from last year with the first two episodes of this year, there is a big difference across the board. Yes. So hopefully we're going to get a lot more of that. Now, that was one of the problems with last season. As we were saying, it felt like the show was written by someone with just peripheral knowledge of Star Trek, Picard, and Seven and Nine as well included in that. Like, it's just peripheral knowledge of these three elements and not a, a, a larger understanding or a greater scope of Star Trek. But last year, Shaban said he didn't want to tie in very many elements from Trek because he didn't want to confuse people. But I'm wondering if it's because he just didn't fully understand 
the entire universe of Star Trek. Yeah, he didn't know the subject matter that he was writing. Right, because look how they included aspects of the Trek universe in an episode like this. You mm-hmm. mentioned General Disco, oh, but also man. Picard's trophy room. Oh my God, dude, that was that was cool, but that was creepy. Yeah, it was creepy. It was very telling. It was motivated because it, it helped us understand this, this reality now that we find ourselves in. It also puts the mirror up to Picard in a very, you know, I want to say this is going to matter. The, the the fact that Q chose this type of reality, yes. it has to say something about Picard. About and Picard. I feel like that's the reason why it was so disturbing on a certain levels because they want to make sure the writers want us to understand what's at stake. Yeah. And going back to the little elements that are introduced from the Star Trek universe, I mean, having that trophy room is an example of writers being able to be faithful to the world of Star Trek without overly distracting us from the main narrative. Like in Picard's trophy room, you had the skull of Gul Dukat. Gul Dukat. You had the skull of General Martok and the skull of Sarek. That one was sad. That's a sad... If finding out that Picard in this universe basically executed Sarek in front of Spock and, and his, and his wife. Yeah. That's dark. Especially when you take into account or you remember, I should say from TNG and how close he actually was with Sarek. With Sarek. Because like, that whole that whole thing too helped establish. You realize the one thing we were always, me and you were discussing prior to the season beginning. Oh, they're gonna go into the, another mirror universe. Mm-hmm. They're gonna do the Terran Empire all over again. This is worse than the Terran Empire. At least with the Terran Empire, aliens had the chance. Yeah, here well, they don't have a prayer also, against this. As an individual, let's say. Patrick Stewart, or not Patrick Stewart, Picard himself. I mean, if you go to another universe, you can shrug and say, well, this isn't really me. This isn't me. But if you're dealing with your own universe where just something small changed your timeline and this is what you became, I mean, that's got to be disturbing. And that's why I'm saying there's got to be some type of refracting element that will come into play down the road. That's what got me giddy when Q actually mentioned to Picard, hey, are you going to apologize for the one thing? And automatically I kept thinking, oh God, throughout all of TNG, what is it that Q wants him to apologize for? Apologize. Yeah. So moments like these are simple. They take mere seconds. And even though they are not vital elements, and I'm talking about the trophy room, the inclusion of elements from the Star Trek universe, even though they're not vital elements to the series, they add a level of authenticity. And these are the things that we want as Star Trek fans. We don't need to have everything we've ever wanted. We don't need to have our wish list of Star Trek wants fully realized in every season of a Star Trek series. But when they give us these small aspects, it shows a certain level of respect to the universe of Star Trek. Yeah. It shows a sense of understanding and also it adds a layer of continuity to the universe that everything is in fact connected and every story and every series is all innervated, you know, with each other. And also Mike, I mean, most importantly throughout this entire time, it never took away from the narrative of the season, which is 
it never took away the story away from Picard. No, it did it. In fact, I would argue that that whole trophy sequence, it was necessary to the narrative because it worked to further explain this new reality and just how barbaric it is. And its connection, which we're not quite sure why this matters yet, to Picard. So all of it works. These are the things I look for. It's these small moments. Sometimes, David, it's the smaller moments that really make an episode. And that's what makes me really, it, it, it's starting to build confidence in me for this series. Is like a lot of the times in the past two episodes, it's the small little details and small little moments. They may count. Whereas in last season, it took them episodes to get to the point in two episodes, they simply ramped all the way up to the point. This is the whole story. It's about Picard. It's about Q coming back and basically testing Picard once again and Picard questioning his, his overall life and straight to the point. And it, it sets the setting beautifully because as you said, all they did was take little nods of star Trek history twisted in a way to fit in their narrative, but still pay homage to Star Trek lore. The, I think the problem, and I don't want to get into season one too much because I don't want to be negative. Yeah. Um, but it, we do need to bring it up from time to time in order to help us understand and fully discuss what's happening this season. But I would say that the, the problem with season one and the reason why it took so long. Well, there's a lot of problems, but one of the bigger problems, it's similar to the, the problems we had with the first season of discovery. It seemed like they were more intent on keeping a mystery and trying so hard to subvert our expectations that they were more focused on subverting our expectations than actually planning out and fully understanding their own story. Whereas with this show or this season, two episodes in and you, as a viewer, you feel like you understand the direction they're going in. And even though we don't have all the answers, far from it, we understand the direction of the show. You can kind of compare it, David, to the first act of a feature film. A feature film, yeah. Like the, the inciting incident, the opening 10 minutes, typically we understand what type of world we're in. And there's a hook that wants that will hopefully keep viewers in their seats. Then at the end of the first act, which is usually around page 30 or 30 minutes in the audience at that moment, they need to know where the story is going. Yeah. Not all the answers, but they need to know where the story's going. And if you compare that, take that and compare it, I should say to Picard and the first two episodes, I feel like we're in that general area already with this show. We fully we don't fully understand all the ins and outs and what direction they're going and the mystery pertaining to Q and what he's up to, but we do understand what's at stake and we understand the direction the story is going. Yes. And that's a huge plus for the season because you are right, David. It wasn't until like what episode five, episode six, that there was a greater understanding of the oh, direction. It took a while. Remember? And even then it was a little murky. Yeah, because they, the, for some strange reason, they tried to push the element of the mystery. The mystery was our narrative. The mystery, they wanted to keep everything ambiguous. 
and it just dragged way too long. Is there, there's a bad habit with a lot of writing right now in TV shows where they feel like they want to blow everyone's mind, like with a twist. And a lot of TV shows suffer because of that decision, because let's be honest, not everyone can write an M. Night level twist, twist. or a David Fincher type of twist from Fight Club. It's not within everyone's creative or intellectual wheelhouse. And that's fine. Guess what? You know what would wow me, David? More than a twist ending? An amazingly plotted out and planned writing, writing. of a series. That's exactly. what would wow me. Don't worry about subverting expectations and trying to make all these elaborate twists and turns so we don't see things coming. If you focus on your story, we won't see things coming. So, so this season is, a, is, I always say, specifically in that area alone it's a huge improvement as well over absolutely last. because like we're not it's no longer and you know this is sad because i i actually pointed this out to you when we were talking it off air all the characters are, are all accounted for right every character matters in the story which is fantastic except one from last season and she's absent is soji and I was like going, I noticed it right after the episode, uh, the episode ended. I'm like, we have Rios, we have, you know, Gerardi, we have Rafi, we have Elnor, we have Seven of Nine. The only character that is, that is missing is the main character from last season. <laughs> and I'm like going, maybe that's an indictment on, on, on last season, but it shows the fact that focusing on that mystery element of of Soji just was almost like a waste of time. It was a waste of time. And but that's again the strength of the season already is that everything is revolving around the card. The card. And the characters that are involved so far are needed not to push their own stories. Sure, they're gonna have their own motivations and their own mini arcs, but at the end of the day. Those characters are only there to support Picard and Soji. That's why I like these writers because they don't feel the need to just throw in characters for character's sake. They're going to use a character when they need them to help push Picard's story forward. And obviously at this time, Soji isn't needed. And when she is needed, they will utilize her because that's all characters are. They're simply tools to help push your story forward. And if you're not the lead, you don't need to be present all the time. Nope. And I think that's a good call. You don't always need to have those characters there just because. Just Use because. them when you need them. That's yes. it. Okay, so we're not quite sure what Q is up to, but I think we can agree that it has something to do with a choice Picard made. A very specific choice. Whatever it may be, Q is obviously disappointed. With Picard. Oh, very disappointed. <laughs> there was a few lines, David. You had a theory that I want to get to in a second, okay? Okay. Hugh said he saw potential. Now, not so much. How unfair time is. How so many disappointments. So many wrinkles. So many wrinkles. Now, he also used that word again, time, which yes. was a big aspect in the last episode. In fact, I believe you and I both had said that it felt like it was one of the main themes of the last episode. Well, yeah, and, because and, 
you got to remember, Q made a big spectacle of the fact that he shows up all young. Mm-hmm. And then he basically looks at Picard, oh, oh, allow me to catch up. Yeah. And then he basically just, you know, whether it was done in a mocking way, but it's also showing time. Right. Yeah. I mean, and the, just, and just the word choice, how fair, how unfair fair. time is. So we have to assume time, and I'm not talking about the obvious, the need to travel back in time. Obviously, something to do with time has a very big part to play in this season of Picard. Maybe it has to do with Q because they alluded to the fact that Q may be sick. That's that. That's where my theory I mentioned to you about was going. Okay. So off air, you had mentioned a few things about how Q was actually introduced. Yes. In this episode, how they started things off. Yeah. Go ahead with that idea because well, I, I feel like it's something we definitely need to express. When, when Q shows up, the thing that I thought was really interesting, especially in when I was studying or analyzing the performances of John Delancey and Jean-Luc Picard uh, and Patrick Stewart was like, I noticed like Q is really almost tired. And you, you see this moment where, Picard's goes from angry to suddenly concerned. Right. And it's like Picard sees it. He sees something's wrong with Q and he basically says he actually, instead of maintaining that anger, stops and looks at Q and says, is something wrong with you? And then Q immediately just backs up, snaps his fingers. But if you noticed Q snaps his fingers and it almost looks like he's labored to do it. And I'm like going, what if, what if Q is dying? And like, because especially since you follow that up with him in the veranda with Picard and he basically says, you know, I wanted to visit. I want to see Jean-Luc. I want to see you. And it's almost like you only hear that type of stuff. If someone is like saying, you know, oh, I'm dying. I want to go see this person one last time. So you think that you is dying. Yeah. And he goes and uh, visits before he dies. He decides to go say hi or bye, bye to, to Picard. And in doing so, he witnesses this shell of a man. Yeah. And he finds himself disappointed in what he has become. Because if you think, in, is that uh, what you're thinking? Yeah. Okay. Because if you think about it, where we last left off with them bef- prior to this, Picard proved the value of the of humanity belonging up in the stars. And then, you know, you leave that moment between him and Q where Q says, I'll see you out there. The, the trial never ends, but I'll see you out there. And then he during this time, suddenly, you know, Q has his own adventures. And then he gets to this point, maybe he's dying. This is the last moments of his life because we know that the Q entities can die. Because we've covered that in nauseum and in, in studying of Q. And suddenly he basically says, Hey, you know what? I'm gonna visit Picard because that was my greatest trial. That 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 man inspired me to go out in the adventures and everything else. And suddenly he comes back and sees Picard a shell of himself. And like he's unhappy in his vineyard. He's not in the stars. I think there's an element there that a lot of people don't realize when it comes to Q that not only did 
not only were the lessons for Picard, but inadvertently, Hugh was teaching himself lessons as well about exactly. humanity. About humanity. And in doing so, he gained a greater respect a, and admiration appreciation for, for humanity because of his relationship with Picard. So I say your theory tracks. I feel like that makes sense. And many times the answer is the most simplest of answers because that is relatively simple, but that makes perfect sense. And, and for Star Trek fans out there, this makes sense for us continuity wise, because I mean, imagine this godlike being basically is inspired by this lowly human being. Mm hmm. And then suddenly he comes back and realizes that everything that he taught and everything they learned together mm -hmm. means nothing. Well, it's it, this is the end of the road. This is the end of the not road. Not taken. Not I mean, taken. Yeah. And Q, uh, you know, thinking at, thinking as it was as a person, I would be upset if that was like that. I'm like, going, wait a minute, we've been through Helen back together. And suddenly I come back and you're a shell of yourself and you're complaining about your life. Excuse me. Listen, it makes sense based on everything we've seen throughout the years and the writing choices that the individual writers from TNG had gone with the direction they took it. It does make sense based on what we know of Picard and Q's relationship. Yeah. I, so I, I think that works. And also, you know, Looking at this from outside the re of the realm of the actual TV show and the story itself, I mean, if we are to assume that this is the end of Bakar's story after season three, because I believe they have season two, season three, which they are done wrapping, yes, they or did. they have wrapped filming on both, then this is the end of the road for Bakard. Chances are we'll probably never see him in his own story again. And what better way to wrap up his story than with a character like Q? And maybe this is their way to end this version of Q as well. And he does, in fact, die. I mean, and his last wish before he dies is for Picard to get back on the path that he was supposed to be on. Yeah, to basically prove that he was worth everything yeah. that they've been through. Because that's what I think it's about. At the end of the day, I feel like this is about nudging Picard back into the position that he was supposed to be. Yeah, because in. everyone everyone prior to this was like thinking like Q is doing this maliciously. He's not as a malicious a villain. person. But yeah, yeah we've yeah, we said, said that, yeah. have always stated Q is not a malicious person. And if you look at how the characters are performed and in the way Q uses the as John Delancey uses the dialogue for Q, it's not malicious. He's angry. He's legitimately angry as if like you want uh, you want to get angry at a at a friend or a family member but he doesn't want to say anything. So what does he do? He snaps his fingers constantly to change the subject. <laughs> yeah. Now there are a few phrases that we can dissect to also help us gather some information so that we can potentially come up with some additional theories. You had said uh, something pertaining to walking through the mirror darkly. Yes. That now, was awesome. The mirror darkly statement has close associations to another phrase that's very similar through a glass darkly, which means to see through a glass. And a mirror darkly is to have an obscure or imperfect vision of reality 
And the expression comes from the writings of the Apostle Paul. He explains that we do not see clearly, but at the end of time, we will do so. You see how that can have some implications. Yes. <laughs> and there's that word again, time. Time. And that's the thing with, I love the fact that in five minutes of screen time, Hugh absolutely sets the stage perfectly if without you, giving away anything. Hey, David, you're right. But you know what's going to happen? Because this is how great Q is as a character, if you know how to write for him. At the end of the show... And we find out at the end of the season, we find out what it's all about. We're going to go back and, and rewatch and we're going to listen to what he's saying. And all of the answers are in what he's saying. Because that's what how saying. that character is. He's, oh, he always gives you the answers from the very beginning. And in a story like this, I think that we're going to see it through Picard's eyes. Because mm -hmm. the way the story is unfolding, I really... Me, this is part of me as a fan of these two characters together. The way I want this to end, especially with my theory that Q is dying, mm -hmm. is I would love to have Q die in the very end with Picard by his side and that Picard coming to the realization Q has always been there to test him, but he's never there to try to tried to hurt him in any way. Mm -hmm. It's basically Q's always been his, his guardian angel. <laughs> oh my God. Now that you say it that way, it's kind of cheesy. Yeah. But, but no, I get what you're saying. And listen, there's, there's, there's room for, you know, sentimentality in Star Trek. Yeah. And, and listen, you don't, did you, you saw that concern that Picard had when yeah. he found out Q was possibly sick. sick. He got really serious. His face completely changed, which by the way, I want to thank Patrick Stewart for being Patrick Stewart, Patrick Stewart and Picard again, because yes. that was one of our problems with the first season. He seemed so morose and it didn't even feel like Patrick Stewart ever showed up as Picard. Yeah. It almost felt like he was dialing it in. And I thought maybe he was just old now and he couldn't act, but that also didn't compute because he was in a TV show that was a comedy on Showtime. I forgot the name of it now where he plays oh, it's a, amazing. a talk show host. And yeah. this was just a couple years ago and he's jumping on cars. He's <laughs> dancing. I'm like, the guy has energy unless something happened to him in two years. So what happened last season, you know, where he was like void of like any type of real range. Yeah. Whereas this season already in two episodes, we see that range He's emoting. You can read his facial expressions. It's very different in his all word, aspects. Even even in the how he delivers the dialogue, Patrick Stewart has a way of basically doing the dialogue like as if you're watching a stage play. And I I, I know Shakespeare. that like Shakespearean, yeah, right? Yeah. And when my favorite scenes by far between him and John Delancey, and like it ramps up that feeling of stageness where mm, basically when they're together, when they're together, because like essentially in this five minutes, you went, you saw Patrick Stewart go from angry to concerned to all of a sudden scared. Yep. Because it, when, when he gets, when he's in the veranda, what does he say? Q he, without even saying, please, he almost quivers when he basically says what happened to the people in the stargazer. Mm-hmm. Because he's scared. He's, now he goes to being scared because something's wrong with Q. 
what is he capable of? Did he do something that, you know, I yeah. can't fix? <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, Dave. So let's get back to what we were talking about. Then when it comes to that saying about the mirror darkly, what does that mean? If we're dealing with the end of time and then that, that moment he'll be able to see clearly, then I guess we could assume if we're going down this direction that in order for Picard to see the error in his ways or the lapse of judgment, he will have to walk through Q's hoops. And by doing so, he will learn of his mistakes or maybe even the mistakes of humanity. Because if you remember TNG encounter at Farpoint, humanity was put on trial. It was on trial. And Picard was its defender, the tangible representation. So if it's not only about Picard, let's say there's a bigger story here than just simply Picard, then that would also play into stuff that we are very familiar with and it maintains a, a level of continuity as well. Well, that's why I love that moment when Q looks at him and says, no, 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 no. You're not just a mere piece. You're not a, you're not just a mere piece. You're the board that we play on. <laughs> and like, I'm like going that right there was almost like a tell saying that this isn't about humanity. It's about you. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, I, I don't <laughs> think it's about humanity. I think it's more nuanced. It's, it's more about nuanced. Picard. It's about Picard. Yeah, exclusively about Picard. Because you're right. When he said, no, you're not a pawn, you're the board in which the game is played on. That That's what I believe he said. Yeah. That it, it signaled us that this isn't Encounter our Farpoint Part 3. This is something similar because it's Q, but this is specifically about Picard. Picard. And that's why at that moment, that's why I mentioned earlier, I'm like going, what mistakes could Picard have made throughout the entire history of Star Trek? And the sad part was when I was thinking about it, there are a lot. Well, you have mentioned it. I don't think there's stuff that we've seen necessarily, but I, I'm, I, you've already touched on it. I don't want to keep hearkening back to it, but you had mentioned who he has become. You know, yeah. Not, you know, living in a vineyard, not, truly living his best life, yeah. doing the things that he really wants to do. And a lot of that may have to do with fear because that was something else Q said. He said, lost in a wake of your fear. Of your fear. There were mentions of atonement and forgiveness. There's a lot going on. Penance. And, yes. And the penance scene, the penance line too made so much sense to me in a lot of ways because I started thinking about it. Picard's approach to this lifestyle of being at that vineyard as a penance, because remember, we mentioned to we mentioned this aspect in the beginning of the, the first episode. Picard's there because his brother and nephew died. Right. And he felt obligated to live the Picard. But we're name. assuming that, right? Well, remember, I mean, it's it it's almost it, it not at this sense. point. It makes sense, but yeah. it's more less assumption now because when you think about it, his speech, I am the last Picard. Yes. When you take into account everything we know of, of his character throughout the last, what, 30 years? 30 years. Yeah, that it does compute. It makes sense. What, what he's doing right here isn't what he's meant to do. Yeah. I think that is a big part of it for sure. Now, there are also other things that we could possibly derive meaning. It could just be throwaway, and I'm okay with that as well. Uh, when Picard says the circle that Dante overlooks, you know, <laughs> yes. I mean, even if it has no meaning beyond simply that, you know, just a clever way to explain how Picard feels about the situation he's in, yeah. then that's fine. But the fact that they're using literature 
again to convey ideas. That's what was missing from last season as well. In fact, what did they start the season off with? It was almost anti-literature. They had Picard say he's never liked science fiction. Yes. And they, I want to say they specifically mentioned Asimov. Yeah. Who's like the father of science fiction in a lot of ways. So the fact that they're bringing literature back into Star Trek, I mean, come on, literature has always been a part of Star Trek in some fashion, whether it be, you know, Western philosophy or Shakespeare or even the classics. It's always been a part. So the fact that they're even using dialogue like that also shows me faith or gives me faith. And also it goes back to what I said about it's the little moments that sometimes are the best. It's the nuances. It's the attention to detail and stuff like that fits into that aspect. That aspect. Yeah. There's also some clarification on the reality they find themselves in. At first it was looking like they were in an alternate universe, but because of the Borg's, the Borg queen's ability to hear temporal echoes, I believe is how it was described and also described as having trans temporal awareness. Essentially they are aware of bridges into adjacent times and realities. And because of this, they were able to infer that they're in their own timeline and that reality has been broken some way. And the team, David, are you ready? will attempt to travel back to the 21st century with the Borg queen to fix whatever <laughs> Q did. Can we say we called the <laughs> Hold on, hold on, David. What are they going to do here? <laughs> well, hold on, we'll get to that in a second. Hold yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. I got to get my cough button installed. So we do know that it's a single change, a rescission is what they called. Yes. But by the end, they, they got to make sure they do a few things. Because we don't want issues of continuity. We don't want them breaking the, the continuity. No. In order for them to keep continuity intact in the way of the entire world of Star Trek, they will have to abide by rules laid out in Discovery Season 3. And the reason why I'm bringing this out or bringing this up is because there are people who listen to our discussions on Picard that don't watch Discovery. Which, shame on you. But you have to realize that there is a very important aspect that was introduced last season, David, that finally put the idea of realities, split timelines, split timelines, parallel universes, and consolidated it into one and said they're all the same. And they laid out the rules for alternate realities and how they are formed. And basically it goes like this. I'm going to keep it very simple. All alternate realities are from a single timeline where a time incursion occurred and created a split. We saw this in Star Trek 2009 and they reaffirmed the, I should say the Star Trek film from 2009, the JJ reboot. And they reaffirmed this idea in discovery season three and officially acknowledged the Kelvin timeline. So that being said, Q will have to be involved in the fixing of this. Otherwise we can assume that they're not really fixing their timeline. Yeah. They're creating another split. Well, because remember the, the, the beautiful thing too, that they mentioned was Picard knows this game. And that's why I thought it was really cool that he looks at everyone and says, no, 
we're not going to, we have to find the reason why Q did this and then Q will fix everything because this is how he does, how he does things. It's a test. So once you get to the end of the test, Q will reset everything because you've learned your lesson. And that has to be the case. And obviously they'll find a creative way to do it because just him fixing it at the end would be very anticlimactic. And also there'd be no suspense because we know Q's going to fix it. But here's the thing. You throw on my theory into that and something like yes. there is tension. Right. Because if Q is dying. He's losing power. He's losing power. Yeah. We just got to make sure we abide by the very rules that the Kurtzman era has set in place because they specifically said that you can't change the past. All you can do is create a split timeline, essentially. The timeline. And that's how all these alternate realities formed, including the mirror universe. At some point, there was a time incursion. So we need to keep that in mind. And when I say we, I'm talking about the writers. The writers, I'm hoping they keep that the forefront of their minds as they're writing. Because I would get so frustrated if they decide to ignore this. Yes. Okay, so get more from the holodeck every single month by... Pledging to our Patreon page. Head over to patreon.com slash Rayman Digital and Pledge. And when you do so, you'll gain access to hundreds, if not thousands of hours of additional Star Trek from the Holodeck discussions, as well as future Patreon exclusive discussions that we have planned each and every single month. So go to patreon.com slash Rayman Digital and Pledge. Okay, David, so the best part of the episode, because it was fucking funny, <laughs> and we called it as a joke. Yeah, as a joke. As a this joke. This was a joke. Last season, it was last season's when we said it. We were talking about this. Let me just introduce it. Hold on here. I'm getting way ahead of myself. In order to fix the timeline, Picard mentioned that there are more rudimentary ways to travel in time, like using the gravitational pull of a star yes. and slingshotting your ass back in time. <laughs> and he mentions Kirk. And he, mentions that he has Kirk. done this on more, more than, than one, one occasion. occasion. <laughs> now, I will say I started laughing the moment he said the gravitational pull of a star and slingshotting yes. around it. Because, of course, Star Trek 4, and you and I always make fun of the science yes. behind that. And we love Star Trek 4, but it doesn't mean we can't poke some fun. And we continue to use that as a reference on at least once a month in one of our shows. It comes up as a joke about correcting time by going around yeah. the sun. And the fact that they use that as a way to travel back in time it's fucking amazing and funny. Oh, it is. It is. And I like that they at least flesh it out a little further. Yes. And they make it a little more complicated because that was the problem you and I had with it was, well, it's so easy that anybody can go back in time, just get a ship and go around the sun and suddenly you're in the past. <laughs> but the way they explained it in this episode kind of fixed the simplicity of it from Star Trek four by saying that they don't have someone as intelligent as Spock who could calculate the jump yeah calculate the navigations and the math to make it work yes yeah, so i like that also just the whole idea of using the gravitational pull and just the way it was worded yes feels more in line with our time frame meaning the, the mature the maturity of movies and tv as it is today in 2022 as opposed to 1980 
eight whenever Star Trek four came out. Yeah. So I do like that. And and if I can also add yeah, here, because ahead. I've seen I've seen some people <laughs> mention this already after this episode. Well, most of the press for this episode is really positive. Oh yeah. One, a lot of people are mentioning, well, why didn't he mention that the Borg went back into the past when first contact? Well, they use technology for that, right? Like yes. A, a temporal rift? A temporal rift. Yeah. And here was the thing. Picard couldn't actually create the temporal rift. It was the Borg that created yeah, the temporal they rift. They followed them. They, they followed them in. Yeah, and they also made it clear... I, they made a point to say that there is nothing left of the Borg. Like yeah. this was it. The queen was it. The queen was it. Yeah. So if they were trying to, if, if if a lot of fans are saying, well, why couldn't he use the same technology from first contact? He can't in this universe. All the Borg are eliminated. So there's no, there's no time sphere that they can use. Okay. So we made this joke about the sun. Yeah, and because then this leads we, to this. we because we were, if you remember David, we were trying to come up with like in a joking way, we were being funny about it, like how they could get rid of Android Picard. Because that <laughs> idea is just I'm sorry, I just if they had tied some philosophical Cartesian, am I really alive? Is there really existence still? What's the difference between, you know, a flesh and blood entity and an android? What's the meaning of consciousness and life? If they had tied in philosophy into the Android body aspect, then I probably would have looked at it more favorably. But the fact that it was just a big giant fix. Hey guys, Picard died. Hey guys, Picard's alive. alive. The synth body came through. And we introduced this element, the episode prior, like not even early on. It was like, hey guys, we're going to kill him. Well, how are we going to bring him back? Well, let's, uh, in the second to last episode, let's introduce the idea of the golem. It's just it's a, a synth body. Yeah, it's awful. And I, and unless they don't, I mean, I feel like this is a way to, honestly, there's things that they need to do to fix season one. Yes. Still. And honestly, Dave, with how season two is going, and we know that season three is already complete. There's a lot of things they can do with season two and three that would retrospectively fix many of the issues in season one. And the golem body is one of them. But I don't want to rewatch season one. Mike. <laughs> don't make me rewatch well, season one. Nothing's going to fix the, the bad writing, but there are story decisions that also just are odd. Fair enough. And I feel like those story elements could be adjusted and made to not look so rough. So rough. With season okay. two and season three. That I could understand. And maybe the time travel element and Q playing a part in it will actually assist in that. Dude, do you realize? I just thought about it and it was an epiphany to me. Oh. When you when when you brought up the the time travel aspect today. I was like going, every single thing we have called <laughs> yeah. has, and in a joking manner, has come to fruition and has come to give us two solid episodes. It really has, Dave. Q has come to save the day, which he has. <laughs> they decide to go into time travel, which we are all dreading, but they fixed it by going around the sun when we joked about it. Yep. They wrote out Soji. <laughs> and David, they're giving us that nuance, like with Seven. 
they gave us the nuance with seven. They're introducing elements of the Star Trek universe that are tied into other TV shows. Everything they're we've called. literally doing everything that we talked about during the first season that they should be doing. Now, I'm not saying they listen to our show and they're like, yeah, guys, just write this down and do it. I'm saying that we knew what we were talking about. This feels a little bit of a victory it does. for us because it does. we took some shit last year. Oh, yeah. Because there are people who just enjoy Star Trek for whatever it is, no matter what. And listen, I love Star Trek, but I'm also, at the end of the day, I can't just sit and watch something with bad writing. I can't. No matter how much I love it, I just can't. I can forgive a lot of things, but I can't forgive bad writing. And no matter how much I love something, if it's not that great, I'm going to talk about it and be honest with it. And I know when we did that, a lot of people who just want to enjoy Picard, no matter how bad the story is, and they just want to bask in the glory of nostalgia, they got mad and said, you guys are being mean. You guys are not fans. And I was like, no, we are fans. Very much so. We just don't feel like Michael Shaban's a fan of Star Trek. Exactly. He's a poser. So now that they're literally doing all the things we asked for in two episodes, it leads me to believe that we actually knew what we were talking about. So I feel a little redeemed, Dave. Don't you a bit? I do. I do. And, you know, in my head, in my own head canon, I am willing to say that Alex Kurtzman's listening to us. <laughs> well, listens there to is us. a couple listeners that said that too. They're like, <laughs> you guys realize that, you know, he's, I, I listen to your discovery shows and then I watch discovery and I'm like, did you guys say that? Like the previous season? I'm like, yeah, I, I, I just, I think like further down in the future, Alex Kurtzman will show up at our doorstep, Mike, and say, you know, so what? dumb. I, I just want to let you guys know. Thank you. <laughs> I don't, I'm not arrogant enough. And to, then he'll snap his fingers and then basically it all disappear. Listen, there's a part of me that would think that's awesome, but you know what? I'm not arrogant enough to think that that they're listening to our show and we have all the answers. <laughs> we have <and> all the <laughs> That's just silly. <laughs> I will say though, just to close out the show, another highlight this season that is miles above. Uh, let me uh, let me rephrase. I'm getting tired here. Something that's way better than last year. Okay, is the crew itself, Raffi, Elnor. And Agnes were the big problems last year. Elnor, yeah. there just wasn't enough of him. He was likable, but there just wasn't there enough. There wasn't a, a, enough. Raffi was just, in my opinion, unlikable. I want to punch her in the face. Yeah, she was smoking weed all the time. Then there was that weird story with her son that made no sense that we still don't understand. Yes. Uh, then suddenly she's a lesbian with seven. It just was weird. It just didn't make sense. None of it. And then Agnes was just obnoxious. I never liked I her. To not just punch her in the face. I wanted to to crush her face. Yeah. <laughs> but do you see now why it's important to have a good writer? Yeah. Last year, these characters, except for Rios, except for Rios, were unlikable. Now Agnes is amazing. She was awesome in this episode. Yeah. I'm I'm going to actually say Agnes was beyond tolerable this episode. She, she was, was awesome. She was great in this I like, episode. I like the whole spot element. And and the the actor who plays Spot, I was just cracking up. I yeah. mean, she has really good comedic timing. Yeah, and we didn't get to really see that last year. We just saw someone who was annoying making illogical decisions. Yes. And then now they want to justify it with, you know, being 
I don't know, afraid to death, essentially, afraid of whatever she saw, temporary insanity. Yeah, exactly. Temporary, temporary insanity. A- alien-induced insanity. David, temporary insanity, and yet she was able to hold on to her sanity. <laughs> Like, what? You're able to work behind the scenes and work to betray Bacard. And you keep everything. Uh, as I your, said, Mike, don't think yeah, about it. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, don't okay. think about it. We're not going to do it. Because <laughs> it's better this year, and that's what I'm going to focus on. Thank you, David, well, for bringing even, me back. Even with Elnor, I was, like, chuckling when Elnor is, like, standing among everyone and goes, I'm a freedom fighter. And I was, like, going, oh, God, you're so freaking naive. I fucking love it. I I love it. And Rios is perfect. Oh, I, Rios is we perfect. We loved man. him last year. And he is just. He's Even just, more so now. Yeah. He, dude, I'm telling you. If. Well, not if. We know Picard's coming to an end after the third season. I wouldn't mind. If things are keep going in this direction, I wouldn't mind having a spinoff series with this group. And Picard's not in it. Without Picard, yeah. Especially if Rios is the captain of the Stargazer again. Yeah. Dude, that'd be awesome. That would be one of the best things they could do. They, they give us a show within the TNG era. I think that'd be fantastic. With a brand new crew. Yeah, but let's see. Let's see what happens over the next two seasons here. But so far, I'm way more amped about this show than I was last year. So, David, 91%. On the RMD score, what about you? Oh, I'm I'm actually I'm above that by a, a bit. Okay. So I'm not going to give it a hundred because I don't want you to throw the monitors yeah, you, at come me. Come on, you got to review things. You got to review objectively. Things. But honestly, when you com- when you look at the when you look at the episode, Mike, this is close to a, a perfect Star Trek storytelling for Picard. So my score for it is a ninety-eight. Wow, okay. because like it taps into the character of Picard. It's the one thing that basically we were saying was missing. It gets everything right. It gets everything right. Yeah. Literally everything right. I only gave, I only take away two points because you don't have Guinan. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, I, I'm only giving it a 91% because I don't know what future. uh, (laughs) You're nervous. No, no, no. Listen, (laughs) I no. it's because I, there's one douche uh, complaint. Seven of nine would never be married to that Joker. <laughs> Dude, do you think she's actually married? I think she's just using the magistrate. Yeah, there's, there's, come on. Come on. He could do better than that. Come on. The, the only reason why that guy gets to sleep with that is because of with the position. That. With, with, that. with that. Not even seven <laughs> of nine or her. That. Is because he is the magistrate. Okay. That's it. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. All right. So this brings us to the end. I want to thank everyone for listening. We will be back. Oh, you know what? The show is going to be a little late because next week is spring break. Yes, it is. So we will have a week off, but we're going to record that Sunday. So hopefully I'll get the show out by Monday, the latest. So just so that you guys aren't waiting there impatiently. All right. Thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.